Hey, I'm Megan. Welcome to I Hope This Finds You, my love letter to all the women out there who, just like me, are longing for deeper, more authentic, meaningful conversations with the women who inspire us. Each week, I'll have a new guest with me. And today, I've got Anna Brady, motivation researcher, and she's going to help us how to figure out how to actually reach our goals. Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really excited to have you here today. I'm going to start off by introducing my very first guest on this podcast. So welcome to Anna Brady, Dr. Anna Brady, who is an assistant professor in educational psychology at Georgia Southern University. Anna earned her PhD in educational psychology from the Ohio State University, and she's particularly interested in researching motivation in college students. She's also a pretty excellent novice potter. So if you're into ceramic art, she's also very talented in that field. Anna, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. I'm really excited for this first season of the podcast to dive into topics that I think a lot of women are thinking about, possibly obsessing about, hyper-obsessing about, uh, (laughs) but also not talking about really with each other. For me especially, I'm very into self-improvement. I'm very into like motivational sciences and how to be better at things. I mean, I'm a life coach, so I do this with people professionally. You do this professionally. Why are you so interested in how people are motivated to accomplish their goals? Like, where do you think that comes from for you? So initially, um, as an undergraduate, when I, I started feeling interested in psychology and was really interested in student behavior and particularly in educational context, right? Like really immediately, I was looking around at the folks around me wondering, like, why are some of my peers getting it? Like understanding how to handle all of the responsibilities that come with college and other folks aren't getting it. Like where, what are the missing pieces? And I found myself drawn to not necessarily things like academic ability, prior academic experiences. I found myself really drawn to these skills like motivation regulation, like time management that students can improve on. Um, And I feel really lucky that when I did my graduate training at Ohio State, while I was in graduate school, I got to serve as an academic coach for undergraduates and graduate students as well. And that was really neat because it helped me see how all these ideas that I was reading about and thinking about conducting studies on and, you know, writing about can be translated into actually improving folks' day-to-day lives. And especially moving from just focusing on undergraduates to also helping support graduate students who oftentimes have lots more responsibilities than like an undergraduate student population. So all that to say, um, I got interested because I think that these theories and these ideas can be translated into tools that can do all of the things that you've already said, help us do the things that we want to do better and faster. Were you always a pretty successful student? 
Um, and you're like nodding. <laughs> were you always pretty successful? And was there ever a point where you were like, oh my gosh, the tools that I've been using now are just not cutting it? Well, I think for me, the adjustment that has to happen when you move through college and then into life after college, adjusting those tools came really naturally. So it was easy for me to understand like, you know, the time management approaches that I'm using at this job aren't going to work anymore at this job because the way that my responsibilities are distributed are different. Or um, the motivation regulation strategies that I used, how I help myself do the things that I need to do when I don't feel like doing them that I'm using now need to be adjusted to fit this new context. So I don't, I was more successful, but I really attribute a lot of that to that just natural um, trial and error, adjusting, regulating as I moved through life, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. I have a similar sort of like just interest in time management techniques and like life hacks, I guess you might call them, or like how to become productivity hacks, how to get more productive, more done faster. And I remember like we first bonded over bullet journaling. (laughs) So any of those techniques in your toolbox are able to transfer over when you find yourself in a new situation. But a lot of motivational tips out there are sort of like, here's how you can help yourself reach these goals faster. Here's how you can be more productive, or here's how you can achieve more. A lot of them are sort of like couched in this pretty traditional social hierarchy of what we value as achievement and success. Um, So for you, how are you able to balance that with also like the idea that you're still worthy, you're still valuable, even without having constantly to achieve more? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think part of it is that um, in my own life, I spend a lot of time thinking about values. And, um, you know, there are some things that you just can't measure. Like there are some goals that I have that are not measurable, like things like being a good friend, right? That is super important to me. It's really valuable. It's something that I think about a lot. But when I think that that's when some of these ideas, these motivational ideas are maybe not as helpful when working towards those sorts of goals. I'm thinking about, um, this isn't an answer to your question, but it's something that it's making me think about, which is that when when I'm thinking about motivation, it's hard for me to think about motivation without thinking about goal setting. Like I think about motivation as something that's driving you toward a particular goal. And I think a lot of times in life, uh, at work or in academics, we aren't setting our own goals necessarily. Like sometimes there's a boss who's telling you what goal you need to be working toward, or there's a teacher who's telling you what goal you need to be working toward, or for kids, there's a parent who need, who's telling you what goal you need to be working toward. And so figuring out how to take those goals and then make them meaningful to you, maybe readjusting them a little bit or adding something to them or reframing, I think is really important in that balance. Yeah, that is... A huge thing. I haven't had to deal with it for a while (laughs) as a self-employed human, but yeah. So often our goals are set by other people. For you, 
do you find it easier to set a goal that's or to motivate yourself to reach a goal that's been set for you or one that you set yourself? Oh, yes. One that I set myself. And I think that there's research that supports that. The goals that we set ourselves are much more motivating. What is a goal that you've set for yourself recently? Oh, that's a good question. Let me think about that for a second. Um, a, a work goal or just any, probably any goal. Yeah, any goal. Um, so one goal, I have a reading goal for this year. My reading goal is was to read um 50 books. And actually, this is a really good example of how I approach goal setting in my day-to-day <laughs> life because yesterday or two days ago, I was looking at my reading goal of setting 50 books and noticing, you know, that I've I've read like 31 books and counting how many weeks we have till the end of the year. And this reading goal, I mean, it is driven by my desire to read more, right? But it's not, if I don't hit 50 books, it's not going to like destroy my life. It's just a goal that I set to help myself read more. So right now I'm doing some evaluating and adjusting based on the information I have, which is how much time I have to get um, the last couple books in. And I think that practice of like looking at your goals and readjusting and reevaluating is something that sometimes people are feel a little nervous about because it feels like you are not hitting the goal that you initially set. Um, But I find that practice to be really, really important because otherwise, like, you know, not updating based on new information, new obstacles, new strategies or resources might leave us either working towards goals that are too easy or consistently working towards goals that are too hard. Mm. Yeah, I am just like flashing back to my first job in academic advising where I was in a biology department advising almost every single student was pre-med and just the process of not just reevaluating like is this goal you've set too hard or too easy but also like do you still want this goal is this still what you want to be working towards is a question that I don't think we ask ourselves enough after we like pick the goal we set it up there. We put it on our vision board. We maybe set like a smart goal <laughs> and put numbers with it. And then we just work on it and we don't necessarily stop to wonder like, is this actually what I still want? Especially if it's like a longer term project. Yeah. It's why I think New Year's resolutions can sometimes be tricky for people because of this idea of like, okay, it's January. So now I'm going to set these goals for the whole next 12 months. And then we'll see in a year like that. That is a big, uh, a big ask for January. (laughs) Um, And I find I, I find the practice of goal setting to be really useful, like in all, in all parts of my life, you know, and I've, and I, I am also a New Year's resolution goal setter. Like I love a New Year's resolution, but that needs to be revisited and reframed and adjusted as time goes on um, so that it's still motivating. Because if you realize like me, okay, we've got like, uh, however, like two months or whatever until the end of the year. And I have uh, 19 books to read. And I'm so overwhelmed by that, that I don't want to read a book for the rest of the year because it's going to make me feel bad about reaching this goal, that's not great, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I have had that experience not with a reading goal because I never reached my reading goals. They're like for me, 
it's really like an aspirational number that keeps me <laughs> keeps me reading. Um, so my reading goal for this year was I think seventy five books, and I am still like thirty or so books off from that. I don't think I'm going to hit it, but um, it's just nice to have a number I'm reaching for. Um, in much the same way that like sometimes I will sign up for and train for like a 10k or a half marathon with almost no intention of actually running it but like knowing I'm signed up will keep me motivated to go running two or three times a week and like keep running longer and longer distances last time I did that I signed up for a 10k I did the training I felt really good and then the morning of, I woke up and I was like, it's like 6 a.m. It's cloudy and gross and I don't really want to go running today and I just didn't do it. And part of me felt really let down, like, oh, I had set this goal. I was going to participate in this big event and now I'm not doing it. I'm quitting or I'm failing at reaching my goal. But a much bigger, I think more like emotionally developed part of me was like, look at how much movement you did with your body and how much stronger you feel and how much better you got at running over the last couple of months, just because you signed up for this. Even if you don't go, you've still ended up miles ahead of like where you would have been if you hadn't set that goal for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's a great example, I think, of um, when the process is, yeah, just as important as the end result, right? Like, probably you were doing regular running throughout your time training for it. I've never trained to run anything, so I have no idea how much you were running or how often or anything. But I assume at least <laughs> weekly you were doing some amount of running um, to lead towards that that race. Yeah, definitely. And it's the same thing with like the reading goal. Like you've read over 30 books already this year. Like that's probably a huge improvement over what you did before you had set that goal. Yeah. Yeah. So I am a person who like will set a goal and then halfway through I will get bored <laughs> of this goal um, or maybe like overwhelmed by the goal. Why do you think that happens? You know, sometimes we like set a goal and we're just like, Ooh, I'm kind of bored with this. I don't know if I want to do it anymore. Is that a motivation thing? Is that like, are we setting the wrong goal or are we like just not able to follow through? Yeah, I think that um, actually those two examples you provided, bored and then you said overwhelmed, right? Bored and then overwhelmed. I think that bored probably means that the goal is too easy and overwhelmed probably means the goal is too hard. And I think those are the two, I think this is what's so hard about goal setting is that it's really hard to set like a realistically challenging goal, right? And I think in those moments where you're like, this is too bo this is too boring. I just don't feel as interested in it anymore. Trying to reframe and make it more challenging or figure out if there are pieces you can shift is really important. And for overwhelmed, same deal, trying to take, maybe not like move the goal, make the goal lower necessarily, but figuring out how you can make it feel less overwhelming, like breaking the goal into smaller chunks and creating smaller checkpoints, right? I do think it could also be a motivation issue, but motivation is really helping us understand like why we're focused on that goal. Like 
Is it meaningful? Um, is it going to serve us in the future? Is it interesting or enjoyable, right? There's all these different ways we might analyze our motivation, but having a really good goal before even thinking about motivation, I think is super important. What is a goal that you, like the biggest goal that you set yourself and achieved? And what's the biggest goal that you like set yourself and did not achieve? I think that probably getting a PhD was the biggest goal that I set myself and achieve. And honestly, I did not think I was going to be able to do it until literally they were saying, great job, you've successfully defended your dissertation. <laughs> like truly my approach in life has been like, sign up for the big, scary, hard thing and hopefully future Anna can figure it out. <laughs> um, because I think something else that's hard about goal setting is that there is to a certain extent, like you're making a plan for the future after you've probably learned and done all these things. And so I think that like forecasting, like be thinking about your future self and figuring out, is this something that I could actually achieve can be really challenging. Um, probably my goals that I've worked towards and haven't achieved within the career realm are probably just like different research projects, publishing papers. So one part of my job, right, is conducting studies, writing those studies up, and then sending them off for publication. And when I start a research project, um, usually it takes a year or two to get to the point where you're send submitting it to publication. So it's something that you're planning for in the distant, distant future. And it is an example of a goal where just things don't go as planned. And so maybe you don't have something that you're able to send off. And it sucks. I mean, anytime you're not reaching or hitting a goal is a bummer. Um, but I think that that reframing and pivoting and trying to modify is super helpful. Have you ever read... Um the book by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's called uh, Big Magic. No, I haven't, but it's on my list because I've heard it. So it's really amazing and good for anybody who, well, anybody in general, but especially good for creative folks, right? Yeah, it's definitely geared toward creative folks. Um, the part of it that I just was reminded of is she talks about how when she decided she was going to be a writer, she started sending out her work and getting all these rejections and how at one point she starts like keeping and framing and like hanging up these rejections as just evidence that she is in fact a writer and that like eventually one of these is going to work out. But I've started to make this mental shift like coming off my own personal stint as an achievement junkie and a perfectionist of chasing, almost like chasing failure instead of chasing success because the most successful people, like the people who earn their PhD or who are widely published and who get a lot of stuff done have so much more failure than I have so far. And so I'm almost like, well, I'm, I'm questing after failure because there's no way to get to a really big level of success without hitting a whole bunch of failure first. And I think that's something that's really interesting to try to build into like the goal setting and motivation process. Yeah, for sure. And I think reframing, so like my example of, um, you know, working on a research project and then sending it off to publication, 
I know that when I first started working on research, I my goal would be like, I want this thing published. I want this to be in the hands of, well, everything's online. So not in the hands with, with people's eyes on it. <laughs> um, and then I realized like, oh, to a certain extent, this is not up to me. Like if I'm sending something off to get published or I'm submitting to a conference or I'm, um, you know, nominated for an award or something, like there's all these people who are making this choice. It's it's not up to me. I All I can do is work as hard as I can. And then it's up to these other people. And so I really, I really try and reframe as the goal is submission. And I think that works for like people who are on the who are um, looking for a job as well who are submitting job applications because it because there's just so much that's outside of your control um and I don't know if it's useful to worry too much about those things instead shifting to my goal is submission my goal is submission I think is a much more motivating process ah uh, that is so good to hear and especially for I know there are so many people out there who are looking for jobs because all these companies have been doing these massive layoffs. And so you're super qualified. You know you can do the job. You're applying for the job. And I know people like some friends of mine, some clients of mine who just get so heartbroken when they don't hear back from the job, when they, they don't get the interview or a lot of times like just don't hear back at all. They just like are ghosted by these companies. It's like, it's not your job to get that particular job. <laughs> it's You're just applying, you're just sending it out there and just, just now occurring to me, but like what a huge shift from being like a student or in a job where you're your goals are set by someone else. You're like, okay, do X, Y, and Z, and then you get an A or do X, Y, and Z, and then you get like your salary or your bonus to now you're setting your own goal. And also you have much less control over whether or not you actually reach that goal. What advice would you give to someone who's like making that switch, like going from college to applying to jobs or going from, you know, having a really structured job to now back into like a world of unemployment or fun employment or self-employment? I think that um, when I'm thinking about folks who are applying for jobs, I think for sure applying should be the, um, the goal and not getting the job like we've already talked about like it's just not it's just not a, up to you in full and even even I think even after the interview point right like remembering there's a bunch of people involved and who knows there's just so many dynamics that go into hiring someone um I also think so the way that my job is structured is that I don't really have I mean I have to be in the classroom on certain days teaching the students but otherwise, the rest of my time is up to me. Um, and so I think that thinking through things like how, um, what time of the day do I feel most energized? I'm going to do my high focus tasks then. How can I work to protect my time and modify my schedule in a way that allows me to, you know, do go through work um, in a way where I can be the most productive is really helpful. So like, I, I think that I saw on social media recently, Megan, that you were talking about how like you had noticed that on Mondays you needed like a slow start. I'm sure no one is really hitting the ground running on Monday morning. <laughs> I know I'm not always hitting the ground Monday. Monday, I'm like 
snoozing on my alarm. Um, but I know it feels like that sometimes. So making that shift to having a little slower start, like, I think that is the best thing about having a more flexible schedule and more flexible time. And not everybody can do that. Although I do think there are ways that people can build in even in more structured jobs, little bits of that, like trying to be as strategic as possible. Um, I think that is a really brilliant way to try and figure out how to optimize, but like in a compassionate way, not productivity for the sake of productivity, just recognizing your ebb and flow throughout the week and then modifying your schedule to fit that. Yes, that's definitely something I've been doing recently. Today is Monday and I started the day, I had like a class I had to go teach and then I immediately went to a coffee shop and took out my knitting and was like, slow start to my Monday because I've got a lot on my plate today and I know that it gets really draining. And I love to do my people work at a different time of the day that I do sort of my like sit down and take care of business work. So that's something that I've noticed too is really helpful for me is like, when do I like to people? When do I like to be in a room by myself with my computer and just checking tasks off my list? Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think the where is important as well, right? Like um, if you have the flexibility, I know not everybody does, but is what is the best work for me to do at home? What is the best work for me to do at the office? What is the best work for me to do at the coffee shop? What is the best work for me to do while I'm like, have my earbuds and I'm walking the dog? Like, you know, just trying trying to figure out how to, um, I don't know, I guess balance work and life a little bit better. Yeah. How do you balance your work and life right now? I mean, professor is a huge job. It's super flexible, but it's also like, because it's very flexible, it's not like you really have a ton of time off during the week. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of the tools that are the most useful for you right now? So um, time management is super important. So every week I create a running list of all of the things that I plan to complete in the course of the week. And then every day I make like mini to-do lists. I use like an electronic calendar to um, schedule my time. And then I have a paper pencil planner to write my task lists. I just can't quit the paper pencil planner. Um, But that's why I have the electronic calendar to, you know, offset so I can pull Mm -hmm. up my phone and schedule things. Although I could really work any time of the day, like I don't have a set schedule other than, of course, the days I have to be in the classroom teaching the students. I keep basically an eight to five schedule that just works really well for me. And I feel like it allows me to be at work when other people are working and then be home when other people are at home, you know, like other people as in my husband, but also just the flexibility of like friends are at working at the same time I'm working and then at home at the same time, you know, to, to balance life a little bit. I just actually last week instituted a new practice because I realized that I was coming into the office and just basically sitting down some days and not getting up until I left. I've started timing myself. So every 50 minutes, I take a 10 minute walk. And I love that. It's it seriously has like really I only instituted it last week. So it's probably silly to say it's already changed my work, but it feels like it's really changed my work because, of course, no one can can pay attention for eight hours. Like if I'm sitting at my in my desk for eight hours, I'm not just working that whole time. I'm like 
scrolling a little bit here. Maybe I'm answering a phone call. Like there are non-work things happening, um, but this just allows me to focus, 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 and then take those non-work things and do whatever non-work things I want to do while I'm also moving my body. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. And there's a lot of research. I'm really interested in this about like what happens to our human body when instead of doing all the things that the human body sort of evolved to be able to do, we just sort of sit in the same place all day and then sit in our car and then come home and sit on our couch. (laughs) And it's not good. It's not good. So even just taking those couple of minutes every hour or so to get up and whether it's like walking or just shaking out your body or doing some stretches, it's such a benefit to your brain function, your body function. And gosh, I just really hope that because we do stuff like that, because we're learning now to do stuff like that, that when we're like 80 and 90, we are still able to like walk around. Yeah. Yeah. And also I was thinking like, oh, good. I'll start this as we transition into fall in Georgia so that when it's the hot, humid summer, maybe I'll really be in the routine. <laughs> like that, that heat's not going to bother me because I'll be ready to do my 10 minute walk every 50 minutes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Because it does get super hot there. I used to do it. Well, I still do it in Florida and it's gotten a lot more difficult for me to do that now that I work from home and like I control the temperature, but it was so nice in the middle of summer to leave the building that's like 65 degrees always and go outside to be in like 90 degrees for a couple of minutes and then come back in and freeze slowly. Um, I do want to add that I was for sure thinking of you as I was implementing this practice because I will never forget working with you. And occasionally I'd look out and you'd be doing like a handstand on the wall and I'd be like, yep, that's just <laughs> Megan between meetings. <laughs> and it I feels need, so good. I, I hope you keep this in because I need people to understand that there was a front desk and the handstand was happening right directly next to the front desk. If my memory is correct, (laughs) it was not in your private office because it was too small in those little offices. It was like in the, in the shared space, which is like amazing. And honestly, good modeling because everybody needs to get up, maybe not do a handstand. I can't do a handstand yet, yet, maybe one day, (laughs) but get up and move their bodies. Yes, that is something that I think in that workplace, so Anna and I used to work together almost like a decade ago now. And I think we were really good in that workplace. Like we had, I feel like me and Kyle had just gotten Fitbits. And so we would do like Fitbit challenges and see which of us could beat the other. And then we would like all of us sometimes go to the basement of the next door building and play ping pong for a couple of minutes. Like it was a good culture of like, yes, we are working, but also sometimes we are going to get up and move our meat suits so that like we can stay awake and we can stay alert and we can stay generally happy and positive to be around because it was a lot of stressful days in that office too. Yeah. And honestly, um, I, there's just so much evidence that supports why it's so important to take these breaks, you know, like there's a lot of research on just our concentration cycle and how bringing it back to motivation, how taking small breaks can enhance motivation, right? It is easier to get stuff done if you're giving yourself a break every once in a while. Yes. And also just happy, happier people, right? Not just to get stuff done, but also just like to be a happier human. Yes. Happier people get more stuff done is the secret. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to circle 
back to something you said really early on, which I just realized we didn't answer, which is you got into like time management and motivation and all of this stuff as a research interest because you were like, why are some of my peers getting this and just like succeeding? And some of us are just like sitting over here on the struggle bus and can't seem to find our way out. So now that you have like done more research on this and like written your dissertation and everything, like, do you have an answer? Do you have more of an insight into why some people just seem to be able to like pop into an academic environment and figure things out and others are really confused and take a lot more assistance to adjust? Yeah, a lot of it is that um, some students have access to resources and are exposed to those skills earlier on, like in K-12, and other students aren't. And I mean, college introduces so many new responsibilities for students, right? A lot of students are experiencing all these big new things for the first time and also are needing to work through and control all these responsibilities much more independently than they um, needed to in high school. And I I do think some high schools do a really good job of preparing students. Like some of the curriculum on motivation and self-regulated learning has been embedded into high school. And for other students, they just don't have those opportunities. Um, so a lot of uh, colleges actually implement first-year experience courses that students take as freshmen. But even beyond first-year experience courses, there are courses, right, that I, I think you taught the one at um, Florida State to teach students how to be successful college students. And I think that, you know, I probably wouldn't have been as interested in motivation and self-regulated learning, which is just the fancy term for the theory that explains things like how to approach academic tasks and how to manage your time and all that good stuff. Um, I wouldn't have been as interested in it if I didn't immediately learn that they were skills that can be taught which I think is great news, right? Um, Knowing that these are skills that can be taught helps then we can start thinking about like, okay, so then how do we teach those skills? So I've been involved in really interesting projects where we design courses based on research to help students become more motivated and more self-regulated as they move through college. I've been involved in interventions where we're um, actually embedding it into particular classes. So I worked on a project where we taught bio students, students in introduction to bio, um, how to manage their time and also how to learn more effectively, use more effective learning strategies. And the evidence so far supports that those students then do get higher grade and higher grades and also have other great academic outcomes like report higher persistence to toward their degree, right? Like report, I'm more, I really want to stay in college and finish this thing out compared to students who don't get those sorts of interventions. That is amazing. So I feel like not you and not in like educational psychology as a field, but in the wider lens of society, we really treat motivation as something that like you're either born a motivated person or you're not like you're either a motivated high achieving person or you're lazy but it's not that it's like there are skills and techniques and if you're learning those skills and techniques if you at some point are taught those then you're gonna succeed in these environments and if you're not taught them you're not gonna know what to do and no one is born just like knowing how to be motivated Yeah, 
That's right. There's, I, I should um, try and pull up this quote that I show students a lot because I don't, I don't know who said it off the top of my head, but it says something like, oh, gosh, I'm going to do a bad job. I'm going to pull it up <laughs> as we're talking. It's like motivation and showers don't last. That's why I shower daily or something like that. But <laughs> the point of the quote is that um, you can't, you can't expect that you'll be motivated every single day, right? Like sometimes you have to do some work to try and enhance that motivation. And I always, 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 when I'm talking to students about motivation, we have to have this conversation where I'm like, you know, the way you think it happens is that you wake up one morning and you're like, today is the day I will do college algebra. I am just so <laughs> excited to do college algebra. That might never happen. Like for some, it never happened for me. Never wake up and think like today's college algebra day. Um, And so sometimes actually like engaging in the task has to happen before you start feeling motivated. And so that's why one of the tricks um, that I think can be really helpful is things like setting a timer for yourself, even for 15 minutes, doing a task for 15 minutes, telling yourself like I can stop after 15 minutes. And oftentimes, once you once you hit that 15-minute mark, you'll keep going. Honestly, I use this to do the dishes all the time. Like, I do not like to do the dishes. I'm never going to wake up and think, today's dishes day. Like, doing the dishes is my least favorite chore. So if I really have to do the dishes and I really don't want to do the dishes, I set myself a timer and I say, okay, Anna, we're going to do this for 15 minutes. And if I don't feel like doing it after that, like I can stop. And usually the timer goes off and I'm like, okay, I'll just finish these silly dishes. I use that same kind of technique for running actually, because I am a runner, but like, I don't like running. I enjoy having run. If that makes sense. Like I feel great after. Um, And I do not enjoy the preparation and I don't enjoy the first 15 minutes of any run. And so I really have to tell myself like while I'm setting out for the day, especially if it's a longer run, it's just like you do not have to do this forever. Like you're just going to run until you hit 15 or 20 minutes because you know that that's when you're going to start enjoying this process. And if you stop before then, you will not have had a good time. But if you stop at like 22 minutes, you'll be like, oh yeah, I do kind of like running. Yeah, it's it's really a good strategy. And the reason it works is because you're breaking the task down. You're making this thing that feels large and insurmountable smaller, right? But in practice, you're just setting your little timer and, <laughs> and doing that. I should try that with running. It's a good, it's it um you almost convinced me that I could be a runner there for a second. Yeah, it's unnecessary, but um if you if you do want to do it, I recommend. Yeah. I don't I don't know anyone who enjoys like the first 10 minutes of running. It's really Maybe like there you got something special. 15 <laughs> minutes. The first 15 minutes of anything that, you know, you don't love. Yeah, or you know the first um you know, first like 15 or 20 pages of a book and you're like, I'm not really into yeah. this book yet. And then you hit page 50 and you're like, I cannot put this book down. Even uh, driving when you when you have to put on pants and go out to meet a friend, the, the drive to the drive to get there, you're like, I want to go home and get back on my couch. And you get there and you're like, all right, this is fine. Yeah, it's worth it. It turns out in the end. Okay, so you found the quote, you put it yeah. in the meeting chat. Can you read it for our listeners who maybe can't see us in person? Yeah, I can. It's um, people often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we, re- we recommend it daily. 
by Zig Zagler. I think that's a really, it's, it's so good because it just perfectly encapsulates why motivation regulation strategies, like the example we just gave, breaking down tasks can be so helpful. Mm-hmm. And I know for people who struggle with like anxiety and depression or people who are like neurodivergent, a lot of days there's like a day you wake up and you're like, I just don't want to do anything today. I'm just going to stay in bed. And the advice I've always heard is like, just do something, just like get up and brush your teeth or take a shower or make yourself breakfast. And it seems like that shares like a through line with this advice of like, start doing the action as if like, let's pretend you were motivated for 10 or 15 minutes and see what happens after that. Because just like get up and get moving and just see what comes out of it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So now I want to talk about the people who are on the other side of the spectrum. And these are the people who are like, maybe a little bit overly motivated. I'm sure you know people like this who are like, they're so goal oriented that they're like, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. I can't let myself stop. And as soon as they reach the goal, they're like, my life is meaningless. Let's set a new goal. And like (laughs) goal chasers almost like they're going to keep working and working and working and working. And maybe is there a thing as too much motivation of being too goal oriented? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of different theories that work to explain motivation. And one thing, you know, we probably don't have time to go through all the motivation theories. And honestly, that might not be interesting to most people. (laughs) But one one kind of interesting uh, main theme is that some motivation is adaptive and some motivation is maladaptive, meaning that like not all motivation is necessarily a good thing. So um, for example, I'll tell you one theory, which is achievement goal theory. Um, With achievement goal theory, we describe students' motivation as either aimed at mastering or understanding a skill. So imagine a student in the classroom, maybe let's use college algebra again. This student is like the mastery oriented student is like so excited to understand a college algebra. When they're sitting in lecture, they're listening because they really want to develop their skills, right? And then our other student is, is more performance goal oriented. They're really just focused on that good grade. They're focused on getting the praise of their professor. They might be focused on looking better than the students around them. Their arm is shooting up because they want to ask like the best question in the classroom. They're not necessarily focused on learning or understanding. They're just really aimed at performing, right? Um, And when researchers study these two different types of motivations and how they work in the classroom, what they find is usually those students who are more mastery oriented, they do get good grades, usually as good of grades as the performance oriented students, but they're also using all those really good meaningful strategies that are aimed at long term retention, where our performance oriented students are not necessarily doing that, you know, they're learning it and then getting rid of that that information. And they're more likely to engage in some um, negative behaviors like potentially cheating, right? Because they're less concerned about learning and understanding. They're more focused on just performing. Um, And so when I think of the reason why I'm telling you about that theory and connecting it to the gold chasers is that I think sometimes the way that that like kind of translates to outside of of academic context is that focus on performing. 
let me say, it sounds like when I'm describing it, I'm kind of describing good and bad, but it's really not good and bad necessarily, right? Like it's just human. <laughs> I'm I'm a super performance oriented person sometimes. And um, it is something that I have to really intentionally try and shift myself away from. Like not everything needs, we don't always need to be focused on getting a good grade. I think so many of us, we graduate from school and then we're still chasing the A plus and it's like, no one is grading you anymore. So why, why are we still chasing the like most improved, like 110% extra credit version of our goals? Yeah. You know, it's so funny because when I started doing pottery, I, it, it is like my outlet. Like it's the thing that makes me feel like more grounded. It's super, it's a super mindful practice. You really can't think of anything else. And I really have to intend stop myself from like saying, Hey teacher, if you were to grade this on a scale, like what would, what would you give it? <laughs> because it, it's, it's at a local art center. The, the, um, person who teaches it she's she's has an mfa and has taught college level pottery so i know so she, she's, she's given great decor yeah. <laughs> um and i think it's really hard and i find at least for me when i am just recognizing that in myself and then shifting trying to tell myself like list like we don't need to, like, our goal is to learn and understand and to grow and to develop, right? Like, I kind of have to have that inner monologue with myself that at least makes it a little easier. It sort of reminds me of memes I've seen where it's like the high achieving student in therapy who wants like a sticker at the end, like, I'm the best um, patient, right? <laughs> Which is sort of along the same lines. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, even in um, life coaching sessions, I'll have people who are like, I'm so sorry, I didn't do this stuff that I said I was going to do last time. I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> it's not, we're not grading you. It's okay. If you didn't do the homework, that's fine. We'll move forward from there. Um, but yeah, they, even like people want to get like an A plus in life coaching. And I'm like, I don't think that's a thing. is a really fun topic of that like performance motivation versus mastery motivation Mm -hmm. and it really makes me think of with like social media right now how much of everything we do is performance motivated like yeah that's interesting like when you are doing something cool you like you go on a vacation that's not even like I'm going to be here and experience and get the most out of my vacation. It's like, I'm going to get the best pictures to show on social media that I got an A plus in vacation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting connection. Yeah. I think like as we, when we take the theory and we think about how it might work in other parts of life, it is the difference between just like enjoying living and then like, yeah, performing living. Wow, that might that's be even deep. a little too <laughs> performing living sounds um sounds yeah, really not not great. Maladaptive. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's something that I think about maybe not a lot, but frequently because I definitely used to be trying to get an A plus in vacation all the time. 
to the point where my husband had to say, like, this isn't fun for me anymore. Like, I don't, I get really stressed, especially Disney vacations. He would get really stressed. And he just felt like I wasn't having a good time unless everything went perfectly. And so he wasn't having a good time ever because even if things were going perfectly, he was waiting for something to happen that would make me disappointed. It was so, I didn't even realize that I was doing it until he pointed it out to me. And so I have made like a huge change in the way I approach travel and the way I approach trips. And yeah, I have more fun. I don't maybe have as many pictures, (laughs) but I have so much more fun if like my plans for the day are like, we're going to have dinner at this place. But other than that, we're just going to see where the day takes us. And we're just going to actually like enjoy our time here. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. And I'm just thinking about this, like the like hyper, because I used to be a hyper planner as well. And I had to, at one point I had to tell myself, like, we can't make so many, I cannot make so many plans on the weekend because it's ruining my fun time to be so focused on like what time I'm, what time I'm getting up and then I'm doing this and then I'm doing this. And it doesn't happen. If it doesn't happen in this order, like the whole weekend is destroyed because I didn't do the things that I needed to do in the appropriate order. Got to get an A plus in weekend. Yeah. (laughs) It's so hard. I'll also add that, um, since, since you find the performance and mastery goals interesting, when we dis- we actually also distinguish between two different types of mastery and two different types of performance goals. In for performance goals, well, for both, it's we distinguish between avoidance goals and approach goals. And approach goals for a performance performance approach goals might look like a student. It's all the examples I gave: trying to get the A, trying to um, seek out praise, all that good stuff. Approach of or uh, performance avoidance goals looks more like a student who is avoiding looking the worst or avoiding not failing. And it sounds almost the same, but the framing is slightly different. And when we look at students comparing mastery and performance approach and performance avoidance, those performance avoidance are are the students who have the hardest time, who demonstrate the worst outcomes because they're not focused on, you know, looking the best. They're focused on not looking the worst. A performance focus just either way sounds super stressful. If someone is listening to us now and doing what I did and being like, shoot, that's me. um, What can you do to sort of switch your operating system to be more of a person who focuses on the process, on what you're learning um, and being in the moment versus someone who's focused so much on either not being the worst or showing everyone how much the best you are. I think that part of it for sure is setting intentionally setting different types of goals. And honestly, I love smart goals, but I might even say if someone is so focused on performance, I would probably even maybe move away from smart goals and set more process oriented goals. So, um, for your 5K example or marathon example, now I can't remember how far you were running. Um, for, that, <laughs> for that person who was focused on, um, you know, running this race, running this race, I would reframe to I'm running once a week. I'm just running once a week, like really focused on the process rather than that outcome. Um, and then hearing the performance voice and talking back to it. 
And even I think maybe even not just talking back to it yourself, but like sharing those feelings with your support system around you and have them help you talk back to that voice. Because a lot of it actually is like this internal work. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that's a really good suggestion. And my like clap back to that is like who these days really has like a support system that they feel vulnerable enough with to be like, just so you know, I'm working on this goal and I'm worried that like I'm focused too much on how other people perceive. I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is I'm like, yeah, it would be great to have a network that I could go to and be like, yeah, I'm really in my head about how much I'm focused on performance. Um, But aside from like my therapist, do you have like that kind of system in your life and how did you make it? So I do. Um, So I have a goal setting group. This is where I really, really show how incredibly nerdy I am. I do. I have a goal setting group. There's five of us and we meet once a week. All of us went to graduate school together. And now at this point, everyone is in different types of careers. Um, So every single week we meet. And we discuss our goals for the coming week. Um, We do some like catching up. There's problem solving that happens in the group. So for example, if someone is like having a hard time with an issue with a supervisor or they're working through something at work, we do some like, let's all rally around this person and help them figure out. If someone is thinking about a career change, that's a good opportunity for us all to discuss and share ideas or share supports or resources or whatever. Um, But we have an Excel spreadsheet where we report out um, on our goals. And then the following week, we all um, update the spreadsheet during our goal setting group time. And we color code based on whether or not we achieved the goal. Okay. That is nerdy. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) And then I'll, I will take full credit that I instituted something that I'm very, very serious about people completing, which is a weekly win as well. So everyone is required um, to write out a weekly win and it does not matter what part of life the weekly win is in it they it can be anything sometimes it's I kept my kids alive <laughs> and that's a great win that's amazing yeah, that's right? hard work <laughs> like come on um because one thing that as we had this I think we've been doing this goal setting group for maybe two years now it might even be a little longer it started during the pandemic and what I reflected on was that when we're, there are good things that happen all the time and we weren't necessarily making space for those good things because we were so focused on our goals. And in those moments that happen to everybody, we're like, there's multiple weeks where you're not hitting whatever goal is that you're working towards. Um, It's good to have this moment of celebration as well. And I know this is a, an interview, but I'm going to show you, I can show you and I, Oh, and I also do pull like a lot of pictures onto the goal setting group. Oh, I, oh, I must have cut someone out of this in my mind. There are six of us, I guess. But you can well, see you're one of them. People. Yeah, that's right. And some of these people are going to be in trouble because they see they aren't updating their weekly wins. And literally every time I'm in the group chat, like if you all don't update your weekly wins, you're going to be in big trouble. 
<laughs> you can see we've got a range here. Like this person wrote one week um, that they got their shit together. And that's great. That's a good win. Yes. It's really awesome. And um, I'm scrolling down to, and you can see like, it's not like everybody is doing all their goals. Yellow means I did it. Gray means I started it or or did something, but I didn't complete it. And red is I didn't um, do it at all. And actually, mm-hmm. let me move back because I can hear one of these one of these lovely ladies' voices in my head right now yelling at me. It's not gray, it's silver. Gold, it's silver, and red. And I always say gray. And it's it shouldn't be gray, it's silver. Oh, so you got like a silver medal. You, exactly. you tried. <laughs> you maybe didn't come in first this week. That's so cool. It's really great. And actually... Um, one thing that I haven't done yet, but that I really want to do is um, I really want to compile all our weekly wins at the end of the year and do some sort of like compiling and just showing because we, everybody does so much across all of our different lives and across all of the domains, work and personal life. Right. Um, and we, I just really don't feel like we have We aren't always very good at celebrating each other's successes. So creating space for that, I think, is just like really important. That is so important because in it's also a lot easier to celebrate other people than it is to celebrate ourselves and to notice our own wins. And so if you're sharing them, then having that extra level of like being celebrated for it by your peers, by your friends, that's not something that we get that often. Yeah. And I think what makes this group really work and why it's been, we've sustained it for a couple of years is that like, we're, you know, we're all living in different places. I think that two people live in the same city, but otherwise we're all, all of us are in different places, but our through line is just like, we all really want to see each other succeed. Like genuinely everyone, if someone is looking for a job, everyone is sending jobs to our group chat as the week goes on to try and help like, Oh, I saw this. And let me know if you need any of my materials and I'm happy to read something for you. And that type of support is just not something that is always available if you don't create space for it. How would you, how did you create this group? And like, how could someone who maybe doesn't have access to a whole like cadre of education psychology grad students um, recreate that kind of support network? So um, it started out as me and one other person who were just meeting weekly to work on, we were both on the job market actually. And so we were meeting every week to work on applying for jobs as we were both finishing up dissertations. And then it just sort of organically expanded where like we were having these conversations about goal setting. And then we realized, oh, this other person, they might be interested in being a part of this group as well. And has just, you know, slowly, slowly new folks have um, joined. It's not like an exclusive thing. It's more like somebody in the group is like, I think this person would benefit really also. And then a new person, um, just gets added to our like calendar invite. I think that if I, I think that starting with a duo and then, or a trio and thinking about, um, whether or not there are any other folks who are connected might be really useful because a lot of what we're talking about is like career stuff. It helps that we tend to be in the same field-ish, although we're not all in university settings. We're still, we're still, we still do have this through line of like, you know, we're all in the education realm in some way. 
Um, but I could also see if we were more focused on personal goals, I could see this being really useful for people who maybe don't work in the same, um, in the same discipline. Your second question was about like, how would you recreate it? And I think that, I think the weekly wins is really essential. I really think having some sort of tracking system and forcing, sometimes it is forcing people to share out a weekly win is so, so important. And then I think our goal setting approach, having people set goals and then look at the next week, kind of share out and um, update whether or not they were completed or not completed is also really useful. I love that. So it doesn't have to be like, okay, I'm going to start this group of like of people to keep me on track. It can be just one person. You don't have to initially feel comfortable sharing this kind of conversation with five people. It can be like one person, approach them, get it started. And then along the way, if you feel like you meet someone else who would like to do it or who, oh, this person comes to mind and then you can bring them in and slowly grow it to more of a network. But even just having that one person to share your wins with and to share your challenges with someone to reflect back and to call you out when, you know, you're maybe slipping into more of a performance mindset than you would like. That sounds so much more accessible than like, yeah, I me and my my five friends. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was thinking like, yeah, if, if I was like, Oh, I want to read more books and run, then I'd be like, Hey Megan, do you want to meet once a week and talk about our two goals of reading more books and running? And we would probably, I'm sure do things like talk about when we're reading and Oh, what books you're enjoying and what's getting in the way of getting those runs done and all that good stuff. Right. Yeah. So it can be for any goal. That sounds like such a fun takeaway. I really hope that some of you listening will, you know, go home and start your little motivation duo or your motivation group, because I feel like I would benefit a ton from that, of having that in my life. Um, And I can't think of anyone who really wouldn't benefit from actually having a group of like a book club almost, but instead of talking about books that you actually haven't read anyway, you're talking about like what's going on in your life and what goals you're working towards. And it just sounds so much fun. And it also sounds like so much more meaningful than just having an accountability partner, but like our goals are the things we're working towards in our lives. Like that's part of what makes us who we are. And it's not something that you always necessarily are able to talk to your partner about or your family about, or even sometimes your best friends about, because that's just not how that relationship is. Yeah. And I think it has two really good ties to motivation, which is providing accountability, right? Like If I am telling at least these five people I'm going to get this thing done, I do have at least a little bit of the feeling of like these five people are waiting for me to do this thing, right? Um, And then like help seeking and support. Because a lot of times the reason why we're not feeling motivated is because we need additional resources or strategies or just like we need a little bit of help. Um, I will also say that at Ohio State... After I left, one of the people who is in the goal setting group, she works at the Success Center. And so she actually instituted this for graduate students. So the idea was like, we don't have the capacity to do the amount of academic coaching that 
like there's just so much demand and not enough academic coaches. And so she did a model with graduate students where it was folks who just kind of signed up. So I think you should do this with life coaching. Okay, Anna, I want to transition to my sort of bonus questions at the end. Um, And these are questions that I think I want to ask everyone on the podcast. So either they will become like a touchstone of this, or I will cut them and no one will ever hear the answers. We don't know. (laughs) Great. No pressure. Okay. Question one, what's the last thing you read and absolutely loved? Absolutely loved. I know it's rapid fire. Just give me one second. I really loved, I feel like the first thing that's coming to my mind is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which I read last year. It's a fiction novel about um, video game design, but like I'm not a gamer and I absolutely loved it. That was really good. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I've heard By really, Gabrielle, really good I think about it's Gabrielle that. Zevin. Okay. Question number two What is the song that you currently will put on when you need to feel like a badass? Oh, always um, Dancing on My Own by Robin. Such a good one. That's such okay. an easy answer. Before anything, new gym class, I am listened to that three times on the way there. Interview or something like that, like a big work thing. Yeah, I'm listening to Dancing on My Own by Robin. Did you listen to it today? I So no, I didn't. But not because I wasn't excited and amping myself up, but because I had another meeting directly before this. <laughs> That's fair. You listen to it in spirit. I can appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. That. I'll just take it as a compliment that you know I wasn't going to be an intimidating <laughs> interviewer. You knew you were going to have fun. Okay, question number three. This is the last one. What is one thing that you do regularly to help you stay in touch with like the best version of yourself? I really like reflect on values in different domains of my life. I think that... Um, It was in therapy that I spent time in therapy during grad school that I spent a lot of time working and thinking about values and um, how sometimes when you're struggling with something, it could be because two of your values are in conflict. And so really reflecting on values is the most helpful way for me to stay grounded and connected to myself. Do you do that just like off the top of your head or do you have a specific sort of format that you use to reflect and check in? Yes, yes, and yes. Sometimes I will like write them down, write values down on a sticky note or something like that. For a long time, I had my work values literally on a sticky note in front of my desk. And that's helpful because when I was making decisions or just, you know, handling day to day things, I could glance down and see like, these are my values. And it's things like compassion, empathy, supporting one another, you know, just thinking about the humans that I interact with day to day and how can I channel just being a good human in those interactions? Not that I was like (laughs) knocking people down or, you know, (laughs) sending rude emails, but still sometimes, you know, you get frustrated and recognizing like we're all doing our best is important. Um, And honestly, even if somebody is not doing their best, that's also fine. You know, it's hard sometimes. Um, And then kind of less formally, just when I'm working through a challenge or I'm feeling frustrated about something, that's sort of like the first thing I think about is like, if I think about my values, how do those play into this frustration? Why is this situation making me feel uncomfortable? Or why is it making me feel, yeah, frustrated? 
Well, thank you so much for sharing. I like the first two were like really simple, fluffy questions. And the last one got really deep. Like, what are your core I don't values? know. The hardest one for me was the book. So I don't know what that says about me. I was like, yeah, values 100%. But I have no idea what thing I read. And as you know, I read 31 books this year. So, oh, okay. I want to add one thing. And it's okay if this isn't a part of it. Yellow Face. I also read Yellow Face like last week. I had to look at my Goodreads and that was very good. Yellow Face is about like... um. Uh, when people are profiting off of cultures and experiences that aren't their own and it's focused on the publishing industry and it was just like I flew through it it was so good and it's so relevant okay I will include that I think that's yeah, relevant although I'm a little concerned that you read it last week and you didn't remember that you read it and I know it. I know it's hard um okay final final question what is your biggest win from the last week? Ooh, um, my biggest win from last week. Actually, it's a pottery win. I am making a set of mugs for um, my brother-in-law based on his interests. And so I just, I made some really sick pottery mugs. So really, really good mugs. One is like an E. coli mug. It's going to be disgusting and amazing. And he's going to lose his mind because nobody else, I'm pretty sure has an E. coli mug or a rock climbing mug, chess mug, all kinds of cool things. Really custom. A whole (laughs) set of custom mugs. That's intense. He's he's going to freak out. That's so cool. Are they Christmas gifts or... They are. Okay. Good. Well, this won't air until well after Christmas. So you know, he loves safe. me. I don't know that he'll listen to this. <laughs> Anyways. Just in case. We don't want him to get back to him before he gets it. But by the time this airs, he should have them safely in hand. What was your win from this past week? My biggest win from this past week. Gosh, it is. It's really hard to like stop and think about it. Um my biggest win from this past week was not going to the gym one day. <laughs> so I have been really struggling with like overexerting myself. And then I will have like four or five days where I just feel like I can't do anything. Um, and so I've really been trying to be really conscious of like, okay, I have the energy to go to the gym, but if I go to the gym, will I have the energy for the rest of the evening and like into tomorrow to do the things that I know I want to do? And so cutting back last week from like the number of workouts that like in my head, I think I want to do to like the number that my body actually wants me to do. Yeah. Listening to yourself. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for celebrating with me. And thank you so much for letting me steal some of your time this way. I am so excited to have gotten the chance to talk to you like this again. And I hope we get to do it again soon. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of I Hope This Finds You. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a review to help even more people find us. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast fix. I'm your host, Megan Gilman, and I'll see you next time on I Hope This Finds You.